DJ and PK brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. We're joined now by Eric Walden, covers the Utah Jazz for the Salt Lake Tribune. Here to talk about what went wrong in Game 5 and what the Jazz can fix so they can wrap this thing up in Game 6. Eric, good morning. How's it going, sir? Going all right. We know where it went wrong. It went wrong in the third quarter, and then it went really wrong in the fourth quarter when they lost. But what went wrong, from Jamal Murray going off to the Jazz getting zero fast break points in the second half and only scoring 44 points after halftime, uh, you know, only forcing nine turnovers? There's a lot of things you could look about, and maybe it's not the stats. Maybe it's just the attitude, the body language. They thought they had it. In your mind, what went wrong in Game 5? Yeah, there were a few things. I mean, first off, they got that 15-point lead, and, and it felt to me like just watching them like they got a little comfortable you know the, the there's the proverbial statement they maybe took their foot off the gas a little bit and i mean you know yeah you, you start having a few all, all it takes in this league is a couple bad possessions in a row and denver responds with that 14 to 3 run to get right back in it and and for the rest of the game you know it was a it was a dog fight as, as it were you know so yeah first off getting a little too comfortable going up 15 and then I think we saw a few things from the Nuggets that we hadn't seen before, you know, especially with that, that uh, fourth quarter defense. We saw them getting up a little higher on the floor, uh, really trapping, you know, trying to trap Donovan as a ball handler, kind of take the ball out of his hands, make someone else beat them. Uh, we saw Jamal Murray have just another epic game. I mean, you know, the game's still tied at 101 with, you know, three and change to go. And next thing you know, he's hitting four shots in a row for nine points, and, and it's 110, 101. And, um, you know, it, it was just, I, I wrote about this in my story for the Tribune today. It was, it was a series of just little things that all seemed to compound one another. You know, Royce O'Neal having that sequence where uh, he had a wide open three, you know, Donovan Mitchell, someone passing the ball, he's the wide open three. He hesitates, he gets gun-shy, you know, he hesitates again, and, and the next thing you know, he travels. And, and what could have been three points uh, becomes a waste of possession. Um, you know, that, that inbound play where I don't know what he was thinking, but he didn't stick with with uh, Jamal Murray there. You know, just this, this constant, this constant uh, bunch of little things that piled up. You know, Roy's picking up fouls four and five. In, in quick succession, and the Jazz having to put uh, Donovan Mitchell onto Jamal Murray, you know, defensively, which I think we can all agree kind of uh, he needed to expend enough energy to, you know, in, in guarding him that it took away from his offense. He, he didn't seem to have that same closing kick that we've seen out of him in previous games. So, you know, just a whole bunch of little things that I think are all solvable, I think are fixable. You know, I think uh, Quinn will be We'll be pointing each and every one of those things out today in, in a film session, probably. And um, you know, I think I think it's nothing that isn't fixable for a team that has been just pretty brilliant offensively this series. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there too. And then you factor in that Jokic was at least from three point land had never been better, and Murray continues to be out of his mind, and maybe he comes down to earth a little bit. So it gives you a what? What would you say? Uh, uh, a sense of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know if it's encouragement or op- maybe optimism. Optimism as far as Game Six goes. 
Yeah, you know, I think you have to. I think you have to agree with that. You know, uh, it, it seems easy to say, well, hey, you know, you look at this this Denver roster, and who other than Jokic and Murray is consistently hurting the Jazz? And the answer is no one. And so, you know, from there you you extrapolate. Okay, we'll just sell out to stop those two guys, which sounds easy in theory, and and then you realize that these guys are are not automatons; they're living, breathing capable, functional basketball players who have the ability to adapt to what they see in front of them. And, and they've been pretty brilliant at that. That said, yeah, you know, the fact that Michael Porter Jr. Uh, is, is a sieve defensively and is not consistent enough on the other end to make the Jazz pay for it is encouraging. The fact that, you know, supposed Donovan stopper Tory Craig has not been much of a Donovan stopper at all and, and, you know, is sometimes uh, not unplayable, but, you know, they want to limit his minutes because he's not really much of an offensive threat. That's encouraging. You know, Monte Morris has, has some capability, but we haven't seen a ton out of him. Uh, it really doesn't seem likely that Gary Harris is going to be coming back, and, and even if he does, you know, what's the likelihood that he's capable of of, you know, kind of taking things to the next level for Denver at this point after not having played since March. You know, all of these things are encouraging signs for the Jazz. Uh, now it comes down to, you know, can you actually stop Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic when you need to? You know, it's it's obviously hard, easier said than done. You know, you you follow basketball, you watch games for years, and you get used to, you know, some of the numbers and what a game should look like. And this series has just been off the charts. And I wonder how much of it is just, it's one series, you know, Bogdanovich is out, so Donovan's got to go off. And Denver's missing two key defensive guys, so it makes it easier to go off. But to see multiple 50-point games and multiple 30- and 40-point games on top of that, to see the two Denver stars, 11 of 19 from three, who does that? Well, it turns out Mike Conley earlier in the series, he had two games where he shot a combined 67%. It's like we're seeing a bunch of stuff that isn't normal unless it's the new normal and how the game is evolving or maybe just one-off circumstances with some of these injuries. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, the Jazz the Jazz score 107 points last night and it drops them from first to third in in NBA playoffs scoring, you know. Uh the the Clippers putting up 154 last night also contributed to that and and the Raptors putting up 150 the day before that uh helped as well. So, yeah, there's there's a little bit of that going around, but I mean, you make an interesting point, you know, like uh, when, when we found out back in May that Poyan Bogdanovich was going to be out for, you know, the duration. Did any of us foresee this, this kind of offensive explosion coming from the Utah Jazz? I know I certainly didn't. Uh, this was something I brought up to Quinn the other day. You know, I asked him, I'm like, hey, clearly you've been saying all along that, you know, without Boyan you needed to kind of adjust things the way you play certain schemes, certain sets, certain responsibilities for other guys, you know, and, and obviously he made uh, quite a bit out of, you know, playing the rookies during those seeding games, trying to find, you know, some new rotations that would work some some guys capable of maybe stepping up and, and filling small roles. Um, <laughs> you know, after speaking about all of that, I asked him, you know, like, did you see this coming? Like, what what has worked so well? You know, I don't think anyone saw this coming. And and he brought up the fact that uh, 
you know, really what's what's gone well for the Jazz during the stretch has been uh, their ability to get out and run and push the pace and get points in transition and and put pressure on opposing defenses. You know, not allow the Nuggets to get uh, set up. You know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about how the Nuggets have been pretty atrocious defensively for the bulk of the series. Well, that's not simply because Harris and Barton have been out, and that's not simply because you know this this is an organization that's inept on that end. Uh, the Jazz are are having a lot to do with that, with the way they've been playing. And you know, I, I think that the fact that they quote unquote only dropped in 107 points last night and and kind of struggled down the stretch is an encouraging sign for uh, for their prospects going forward. You know, then again, uh, Denver's not going to give up. Uh, and, and even should the Jazz advance, we're seeing them, as you know, as I mentioned previously, a lot of other teams doing this. So, you know, everyone take that with a grain of salt. But, um, yeah, I, I think we have to consider what we've seen out of this Jazz team thus far to be just crazy successful, right? Oh, yeah, to this point, yeah, certainly you would – you, everyone would take it. I mean, we just had Joe Ingles in talking about, well, you 3-2, of course. Of course you would take that uh, as far as that goes uh, under the circumstances. Although I do think it's a, it's a little bit of a wash with the injury situation. You can actually argue potentially, you can go back and forth on this if you want, but you can argue that Denver is in a worse situation because of the injuries. But nevertheless, you know, this series has been wildly entertaining with a lot of twists and turns. And then you play in the psychological angle. And there isn't the home court in the seventh game, so that obviously uh, limits it and devalues it a little bit, the psychological game. But do you feel like the pressure is on the Jazz, maybe more so to win game six because they don't want a game seven? Or just what I said, hey, each game is having its own life and you're not having to go back to Denver. You're going to a same place you've been going to for weeks now yeah i mean uh, i'm probably gonna weasel out a little bit and, and say you know there's there's components of each of those in there i think right. there's certainly is, is more pressure on the jazz in game six than there was in game five you know you get up three one in a series and, and you're effectively playing with house money you know the opposing team's got to win three straight games but all of a sudden you lose game five in, in a game where you were looking pretty good for a while you know you get up 15 in the third quarter you're looking strong to close them out and then you kind of just fall apart in certain components yeah there, there's a residual effect to that and you can bet that they're going to come out a little more focused uh in game six i would expect you know which is not to say they weren't focused in game five but uh you know quinn came right out and said following the game there there were moments where we lost our composure um and, and that hadn't, you know, that isn't representative of what they'd done previously. So, you know, there there definitely is that aspect to it. And then on the other hand, as you said, yeah, you know, you're playing in a neutral environment. And having been down there for a week or so earlier, I, you know, I'm not there anymore, but I went down to cover the team's first two uh, seeding games. And just having experienced, you know, uh, sitting in that environment, it is, it is, you know, definitely more sterile than, than playing in, you know, Vivint Smart Home Arena or playing in the Pepsi Center. Um, you know, they do what they can. They throw in the bells and whistles. You know, they, they, they throw in some crowd noise. They throw in, you know, kind of the, the game off stuff. 
you know, the, the music while the game is happening. Um, they have the, the PA announcer. They do all these things to try and closely mimic, you know, and a, a regular in-game environment. But ultimately it comes down to the fact that you notice that there is not anyone there, you know, that it's just the basketball teams and, and some game crew and a few media people. And you don't have that same energy. And you don't have that same kind of aura and environment. And it becomes something that these players have to kind of manufacture for themselves. You know, I mean, I know we'd all love to believe that uh, players play their, you know, 100% hardest every single game. But, you know, I, I think we can realistically acknowledge that that, you know, feeding off crowd energy is a legitimate thing for a lot of these guys, and they don't have that here. So, you know, obviously it's the playoffs, and and they're not going to not take these games seriously. You know, they're going to come out and give it what they've got. But, you know, we don't know how that how that environment factors into it. You know, it, it is neutral. It is sterile to some degree, and it's definitely a thing. It, it has an impact. Um, yeah, them playing this game in Lake Buena Vista tomorrow will be different, far different than, than if they were at the Viv, you know? So I'm curious, when you're in that building, is it like a big warehouse or something? Donovan Mitchell ran off the court chasing loose ball, and it looked like he could have run forever, but the camera didn't par- pan that far. So I didn't know if the, the video walls they set up are, you know, 20 feet in front of a wall or 80 yards in front of a wall. What, what are they playing in? There, it's not quite that big, but you do definitely notice, you know, there there is some considerable space along each sideline, along each baseline. You know, there's there's definitely uh, several more feet and in some cases several more yards of space than there ordinarily would be. Um, so, yeah, the, the dimensions themselves are, are a little different. The sight lines, I would imagine, are very different. So, yeah, it's, there's definitely some weirdness, but it, it's not quite as cavernous as you would maybe get the impression that it would be but um yeah i mean there's no getting around that that you know all the seats are are tucked in on one side of the arena you know and and they've brought down the video board with fans and whatever and it's just different you know it's just so quiet compared to what it normally is that there's there's no getting around it there's no not noticing it and being affected by it so we've seen, obviously, social issues have taken a forefront in a lot of ways. And most of the time, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I see it, most of the time, no one's the media isn't giving these coaches and players questions. They're just taking an answer and then saying, well, first of all, I'm going to comment on this and that. Um, and the media's job, a lot of times, is to ask tough questions. But I don't really see any follow-up questions to when these guys make these statements it's like we just we take them doc rivers you know he went out the the republican party and and that's it and there's no real follow-up how comfortable would you be asking a follow-up question that might challenge the prevailing line of thinking yeah it's a tough situation uh pk just because the setup that we have now you know, in terms of everything being conducted via Zoom, um, 
everyone goes into these media sessions and and i will say there have been like a few questions from media regarding those situations that you bring up the social justice situation um it, it tends to happen a lot more during off-day practices so like you know i don't know that there will be any today in today's jazz session for instance just because uh we spent the last couple of days asking Quinn, asking Donovan, you know, talking to uh, Jordan Clarkson, kind of about the the Jacob Blake shooting. The reason you're not seeing any kind of follow-up to that is some of these media sessions are just so incredibly limited. You know, you get um, me, you get my Tribune coverage partner, Andy Larson, you get Sarah Cox from the Deseret News, you get Tony Jones from The Athletic. You get Ryan McDonald from the Deseret News, Ryan Miller from KSL. Uh, you get, you know, Fox 13 guys. You get uh, maybe DJ hops on there. Um, you know, you've got all these people wanting to ask questions specific to the game, specific to certain situations. And, you know, they're hustling these players in and out in, in you know, five to eight minutes worth. And there just often is not a ton of time uh, to ask a pointed follow-up like that, you know. Um, I would love to sit down and have some one-on-ones with these guys just to kind of pick their brains on certain things, you know. I, I, I would love to ask Donovan Mitchell, hey, you know, you, you've beaten the drum pretty significantly on this Breonna Taylor situation. You know, you, you keep bringing up uh, David Cameron needs to arrest the cops where does this situation go for you in the event that, that those police officers from Louisville don't wind up being arrested? You know, how does, where do you go from there? Where do you turn your focus to at that point? I haven't been able to have that conversation yet, you know, and, and hopefully I get to ask them that question at some point, but it's just such a weird situation all around in terms of, you know, our, our access to them and, you know, the fact that we've got uh, newsprint to fill and, and websites to fill and, you know, we have to write certain, you know, we have to write gamers and sidebars and off-day stories and, and we have to make sure that, you know, I'm getting in one question to each guy, usually. No, you know, you so are it, getting in. Eric, you are getting in one question to each guy. I get, I, in, yeah. I get in one question total after the game last night. I had well, I clicked on raised hand for Quinn, and they they open with Kristen Kenny from the Jazz, and then it's right. the Trib, and then it's the D News, and then it's the Athletic, and then it's KSL.com, and they're done. There there was yeah. no anybody from TV or anybody from radio, and you know right. you can go on and on about we're the flagship station, so our our coverage is biased. There is no post game question from twelve eighty the zone. Yeah. And they mute, yeah. people don't know this, but they mute your mic. So, you know, I can yell at my computer all my all I want. Nobody in Florida is hearing me, you know. And so I get one question with one player. The two players go at the same time. In a normal post-game locker room, you and I would probably talk to, what do you think, three or four players? Yeah, at a minimum three. And now it's... They, they did kind of change the situation up um, where... Yeah, they were having guys go one at a time in front of a, a, a backdrop in the locker room, and they would always get three. And then if there was another guy kind of lingering around his locker, 
in the interim. You might you grab know, him. Yeah, right, we, were, yeah. we were able to go talk to them. But yeah, now you're absolutely right. It's, you know, it's like two players at the same time, and you have to pick right. which feed you want to go on, and you have to guess when they're going to show up. If you guess wrong, it would be possible to shuttle back and forth and miss them both. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and you're right. You know, that's another that's another component to it. Like, last night, we know that Quinn is always going to lead off. And so, yeah, the Jazz provide two post-game Zoom links for those people who are curious. And Quinn always is the first person to speak. He comes on the first Zoom link. Um, the Jazz will usually reach out to certain media people uh, kind of late in the fourth quarter asking, okay, based on how the game has gone, who do you want to talk to? And it's Quinn and it's two players. So right off the bat, you know, we're, we're starting off with one player fewer than what we normally get. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, um, we're, we're cutting this off at, at, you know, five to eight minutes. And not everyone who's there is getting a question. You know, not that that was always the case, you know, in post-game locker room situations and in more normal times. But, yeah, you know, I recognize that I'm lucky. I get, I have a little bit of privilege. I think um, there's a little bit of pecking order maybe in terms of perhaps, uh, you know, organizations who, who travel to cover the team on a semi-regular basis. I mean, not so much now at the moment, but, you know, when, when things are normal, they maybe get a little bit of preference in terms of getting to ask more questions than other people do. And like you said, even with that, that guarantees me one question per player, you know, one question per player. Like, in normal times, like, yeah, I'm getting to maybe ask those follow-ups that we're not seeing now. So coverage is just weird, and I don't want this to sound like a complaint you know, every it, it's weird all around. And I've had lots of conversations with jazz PR people about this, and I know that, you know, to some degree they're put in an impossible situation. So I do appreciate the job they're doing. I don't mean this sound like a complaint. I'm merely pointing out it, there's weirdness, and, it, and it's different, and there's no getting around that. Thanks for the insight, Eric. appreciate it. Eric, yeah, thank, thank, thanks for coming on and, uh, and talking with us about uh, everything, from the size of arenas to media access to what the heck happened in the third quarter. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on.